Welcome to this week's episode of Everyday Thin Places. I'm Rachel Gallagher, and I'm an interfaith hospice chaplain. And I'm Elizabeth Ferrasso, and I'm a birth doula. And in each episode of Everyday Thin Places, we draw from our experiences supporting birthing people and dying people to explore with honesty, authenticity, and humor how we can all become more truly living people. Welcome to a very special episode of Everyday Thin Places. Since it is Halloween time, we thought that we would go with a Halloween theme and be appropriate for the season. And what better way to celebrate Halloween than by thinking about and talking about scary movies and horror films. And I just happen to have the perfect guest. <laughs> so I um I have this friend who when I think of horror films this is who I think of. Um my friend Jen is a PhD in cinema and media studies and she specializes among other things she specializes in horror films. And so welcome to our podcast Jen Mormon. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. And just a little quick uh, side note, I, you know, when I think of horror films, I think of Jen, but I don't think of you as Jen. I think of you as Ripley. <laughs> so <laughs> would you share with our listeners a little bit about why I might think of you as Ripley instead of Jen? Sure. And I, I just noticed that you're name on here while we're <laughs> recording is Little Eagle. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, we met at a cancer camp, I guess you could call it, uh, learning to surf in Maui, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had to pick camp names. It's kind of a, a convention of a lot of these camps where instead of going by whatever you're called at home, you sort of have a name that encompasses something about your identity, maybe in relation to cancer. Um, so, for me, I chose Ripley because the character of Ripley from the Alien movies is kind of what inspired me to uh, sort of as a survivor, what kind of got me through cancer was thinking of her and sort of finding ways to like map my experience onto these movies, which I already loved. So, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um So let's talk a little bit about that. Can you tell us how you first became interested in horror films and what makes them so interesting to you? Yeah, so I don't remember exactly what age I was, but I was very young when I first started watching horror movies. I want to say somewhere between five and eight. Um, Some of the earliest movies I remember watching, other than Disney movies like Bambi, are... uh, (laughs) One of the first is Alligator, which is an animal horror movie. And as I'm sure we'll mention at some point, I co-host a podcast about animal attacks where we talk about animal horror movies. And I think part of that is just because I have this very early association with watching that movie with my dad and, (laughs) you know, getting freaked out by it. (laughs) So, um, So that and then the other one that I really remember being young, which was kind of a a turning point 
in a way, was one of the Nightmare on Elm Street films. And I actually don't know for sure, but I think it was the third one. Uh, and I had a nightmare where Freddy Krueger showed up. And I guess you call it lucid dreaming, but it was like I was conscious enough to be aware that I was dreaming and to like make it stop. Mm. I just sort of said, no, you can't hurt me. And then the nightmare ended and it was just, I went on to another dream. And ever since then, I've just found horror movies to be kind of a source of comfort, weirdly, rather than fear. And I hope it never changes because I do love them. And I hope I don't start having horrible nightmares at some point. <laughs> but, but yeah, for me, it's just a kind of like safe, cathartic way to confront and work through fears and anxieties. Um, I think that is, that's, what it is for a lot of people who like horror. Um, another thing that, so I'm teaching a class on the horror film right now, and we've been reading sort of different ways of theorizing the genre. And in those articles, and also just sort of in personal experience with people I've met who love horror too, I think there are kind of two categories of people who get a lot out of it. One are people who've experienced trauma um, in some way. And the other people who feel like outcasts or outsiders for some reason. And I think especially people who identify as queer, which I also do, I'm bisexual. Um, and so I think, and I've experienced trauma. So it's sort of <laughs> double whammy there, where it's ways to kind of work through the idea of feeling like the other, which is something that I think horror films are obsessed with. Like the monster kind of stands in for people who are outcasts mm. or rejects from society in some way. Um, and then, so like there's this identification with the monster in some movies. And then on the other hand, you have identification with what we might call the final girl trope in slasher movies, for instance, where you have this one woman who just goes through hell and makes her way out, which is how I would describe Ripley, <laughs> why I sort of, um, yeah, kind of latch onto that as a, as an empowering experience. Although that's not to say that I think these movies are always just like straightforwardly feminist or anything like that. But I do think there's something to be said for this being one of the few genres where you often see a female hero mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. So that's another thing I like. Yeah. I wonder if as someone who, you know, you've studied this so um, deeply and widely, if you could help um, with the distinction to help us maybe understand where there's an overlap and where there's also a difference between what we might call scary movies versus what we might call horror films. Because um, I was realizing, and I didn't realize until we started, started to prepare for this episode, um, that even though like... I, I don't love a lot of scary stuff. I like a, I like to be scared when I'm in the right mood every once in a while. But I had this sort of visceral reaction to the word horror that I hadn't hmm. – it kind of caught me by surprise. And so I wonder if maybe like that comes from misconceptions or maybe it's just like I was thinking of things like skydiving that are really thrilling to some people that I never want to do in my whole life because it's just not my cup of tea. And so um, – but I want to appreciate – this from someone who has really learned to appreciate this. So could you maybe make that distinction for us and tell us a little bit more about um, horror films and the way that like for someone like me who would have this opposite of what we call a thin place reaction to the thought of horror films, like where you sort of said this a little bit about how they're comforting, but how do they become that um, thin place for you? I think that's so interesting, actually. Um, the reason I like the term horror and the reason I use it 
in the classes I teach or whatever is because it's primarily just kind of a marketing label. You know, it's, it's the term mm. that producers and distributors use to sell certain kinds of movies. And I think that that probably has something to do with that visceral reaction because it's about, it's a way to tap into taste. You know, other ways are like mm-hmm. to promote a filmmaker or a star that people might like to get them to show up. But a primary way is to sort of appeal to your sense of yourself as a fan or not of a genre. Yeah. So I think, I don't know if I actually have a visceral reaction, but I definitely have mm-hmm. a negative reaction to like rom-com. <laughs> and, yeah. And yeah. so it, I think it's a similar thing where it's just like, yeah, that's not my thing. Um, mm-hmm. But then you say you do like some scary movies. So I don't know. Um yeah. But, but yeah, I think you kind of nailed it that there are things that are scary that are not horror. And for me, scary movies isn't quite accurate because many of these movies don't actually scare me. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like you, I don't think it's inaccurate because you can say that one definition of horror is movies that are designed to scare people, whether they do or not. But I I guess I just sort of prefer horror as a genre label because I think it's a little more specific and more accurate. Um, and when we were talking about uh, the podcast, I, I think Rachel used the term um, spooky movies as well, which I think, I think scary movies and horror are a little more synonymous. I think spooky gets a little further afield because I think mm-hmm. there are plenty of things that are spooky that aren't scary or horror <laughs> and so on. So yeah. it's, it's kind of just a matter of semantics, but mm-hmm. um, I, I wonder if that reaction is just because you don't necessarily think of yourself as a fan of that yeah. genre. I, um, gosh, when you were s- telling us how you got into horror films um, and how you started watching them as a kid, it brought up so many thoughts and memories for me that I hadn't thought about in a long time. So I wasn't allowed to watch any scary, like I wasn't allowed to watch rated R anything. I don't think I was even allowed to watch PG 13 until I was 13. Mm -hmm. Um, And my mom scares really easily. And so I was just like sheltered from all scary movies um when i was a kid contrasted to my husband who grew up watching these very adult horror films mm-hmm. um and it's just so interesting to like even have conversations about our childhood because what we watched like media influences so much of our lives yeah. even though i was sheltered from that stuff i knew that it existed. So I guess I had seen a commercial for um, Child's Play. And so I knew about this scary doll. I didn't really like I didn't know anything beyond like there's a movie with a really scary doll in it. (laughs) So I made up stories in my head about my own dolls like wanting to hurt me or kill me, Mm -hmm. even without ever seeing the movie. (laughs) And I knew about Freddy Krueger without ever seeing the nightmare films. Um, And I would, I remember I would be playing across the street with my friends and it would be dark out and it was time to go home. And I would run as fast as I could across the street to get back in my house. So Freddy Krueger couldn't get me, Mm -hmm. even though I had no idea (laughs) what Freddy Krueger did in the movies. It was just something, you know, in my periphery that I was somewhat aware of that scared me. 
Um, so parents out there, even if you try to shelter your kids, <laughs> they will be aware of these things and their brains might make up stories uh, yeah. to still be scared. It's so interesting. I wonder if you would have been like more afraid or less afraid if you yeah. actually experienced right. it. Because we've, you know, when we did our episode on fear and we sort of talked about fear as, you know, we wanted to befriend it and use it on our behalf and not think of it as bad, but that sometimes fear was not helpful. And it, I think we even talked about it, like being like the monster under the bed that you never look at. Uh-huh. And so you imagine it so much worse. And I, Rachel, I grew up much more like you. Like it was all, there was none of that. I like snuck and saw a couple of things at a friend's house or like had the same, I knew of Freddy Krueger, even if I never saw a movie. Um, but I realized that there were, I remember hearing about movies that like, oh, that's just the scariest. I think it was like Scream. Oh, it's so scary. <laughs> just from other people. And I didn't, and then when I finally watched it, I was like, what? <laughs> but you guys like made out to be like the scariest movie ever. And so it's, and I guess maybe that's something, Jen, you can tell us that, that filmmakers take advantage of is you have this sort of like, mm-hmm. you sort of see, but you don't know. And like, just sort of um knowing that something's there, but you don't know what it is, is sort of yeah. how our experience, Rachel, you and I, you know, grew up with not being exposed to these films. Um, and they, they take advantage of that even in movies to, to do the mm-hmm. same thing. Yeah. I, I think there's really something to that. And I think it's really interesting. I think people who aren't allowed to watch things like this, and I think you could apply this to other situations as well. Um, it kind of goes one of two ways. Either they just sort of accept that and have a lifelong kind of semi aversion to it, maybe, or mm-hmm. they become obsessed with it and mm-hmm, really yeah. you know, want it even more than if they'd just been allowed to see it. Uh, but but yeah, I, I do think there's something to this idea of the unknown being scarier than the known. Because if you watch enough horror movies, you come to recognize the conventions and the formulas. And so it's like you become used to them and you can sort of view them on another level where you're sort of like like a meta level where you're kind of analyzing what you're seeing even as you're watching it, maybe. Um and so it's like contained. It's, it's in many ways, I think if you confront a fear, that makes it more manageable than if you just kind of avoid it. I actually don't know to what extent this is affecting my psyche negatively to be like watching all this horror and <laughs> true crime and the things that I find weirdly comforting. Uh, I do know that like I love camping and I've found that sometimes late at night if my partner's asleep or something and I'm in the tent, I start, if I hear a noise, I'm like, what is that? You know, I think the Blair Witch Project or like the bear Mm -hmm. attack movies that I talk about. And I get myself really worked up. And then as soon as I open the tent door, it's like, oh, it's fine. There's nothing there. (laughs) You know, like there's just something. And honestly, even if I'd seen a bear, I'd be like, oh, there's a bear, probably. (laughs) It's it's not attacking (laughs) me, you know? So I think there's just something about the unknown that makes it larger than life. And so that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, Whereas I just also wonder, like, I think people who had largely happy childhoods might not connect to horror films Mm -hmm. regardless in the same way. um, Because for me, it's sort of like those moments watching those movies with my dad were some of the better moments of my childhood. Mm. And I experienced a lot of kind of trauma and sadness and, you know, whatever in my dysfunctional family and then later with cancer and, and everything like that. And so I think for me, it's like, I already know bad things happen 
Mm-hmm. I already know how hard it is to deal with that. And so watching movies where people, you know, some survive and some don't, like, I don't think there's a virtue to survival. You know, I think bad things mm-hmm. happen and to people who don't deserve it. And, you know, so there's something about that that's cathartic. And then also the people who do make it through where it's something to cling to where I'm like, well, at least I'm not being tortured by a killer. <laughs> at least I'm not, you know, going through something even worse than whatever it is I might be dealing with in the moment. So there's that. But then there's also just the sort of safe working through of fear where it's like, you watch it, it's not actually going to hurt you. And then it's over. That is this kind of catharsis that I think has helped me to survive actual traumas. It's like mm. a reminder that things end almost. You yeah. Know? Mm. That's great. That's, I mean, I feel like this is exactly what we were hoping to get out of our conversation with you. Like to people who are largely not informed about horror films, um, just recognizing like they're, they can be used as tools. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a hospice chaplain and we talk a lot on our podcast about my work and how I can, we joke that I'm a death junkie uh, because (laughs) I I really do love um, learning as much as I can about the process of dying and and death. And um, I wonder if maybe, and a curiosity around death might be part of what draws some people to horror films. Um, like maybe it's an accessible way for people to explore about death um, without being like up close and personal with it in real life. Do you feel like that might be, um, is that, is that something that you think draws some people to horror films? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think that's part of it for me specifically as well. Um, I, part of my experience growing up was I, I had parents who had me pretty late in life. So my grandparents were very old. Uh, so there were like several close relatives, like my grandmother who largely raised me while both parents were working, died when I was pretty young. And then, um, you know, the others died all within a few years and eventually my father died. So like it's confronting a lot of death and then, um, you know, friends having had cancer and meeting people, as you know, Rachel, uh, who you, you know, meet who've gone through something similar to you and you survive and they don't. And there's this real kind of survivor's guilt and this mm-hmm. feeling of anxiety about what's going to happen to you because, you know, d- depending on the cancer you get, like the kind of cancer I had, one in three people who get early stage breast cancer will eventually get the kind that kills you, uh, metastatic mm-hmm. disease. And so it's like this always lingering, um, you know, once you've had this kind of confrontation with death. So I think for me, that's why it's so comforting. But I think for people who have had less kind of direct experience with death, there's also something to that as well, because death is the one thing that comes for us all, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it controls our lives in, in so many ways, What even in most of them indirect, I guess, where you're sort of thinking like, I want to do this before I die, or, mm-hmm. you know, I want my life to mean something or, or whatever. And there are moments when you kind of stop and think about it. And I think for people who have faith, um, maybe death isn't as scary. If you, you know, have faith that on the other side, there's like, maybe even a better life awaiting you. But for someone like me, who's agnostic, where I'm like, I don't know what's on the other side. 
I feel like maybe I'm just going to completely cease to exist. And that is just incomprehensible. Mm. You know, it's mm. impossible to imagine. Mm-hmm. And so I do think there are all sorts of ways. I think that's why people like Halloween, too. It's this interest in the other side, which we know is like, the one thing we are all going to experience, but we have no access to really, mm-hmm. except maybe people who have had near death experiences or something like that. Um, and so, so yeah, I think it's absolutely a working through of like perhaps the deepest anxiety that is completely universal. Yeah. Yeah, so I got to put my word in as the birth junkie who <laughs> pairs with the death junkie. Um, and maybe it is because I'm the birth junkie who's always, you know, has my eyes open. I, you know, can catch the eyes of a pregnant person in a room of 500 people. <laughs> but um, even in my limited uh, exposure to horror films, I feel like themes of pregnancy and childbirth and early parenting pop up really often. So I'm, I think I'm not making that up, right? No, um, not I'm at thinking, all. I mean, I don't know that much, but I know Rosemary's baby, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think that there's a primal fear about pregnancy and birth and parenting that makes for really great content for horror films? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there are probably multiple explanations for that that all fit. Um, I think one of them is just sort of like this idea of the life cycle, you know, the deep connection between birth and death as these kind of like beginning and end points. Um, and, you know, people who believe in reincarnation, then there's an even more kind of literal connection between them. But uh, I think it's also just about a lot of people who make films are parents and have anxieties about their own children where maybe you care, you're even more scared of that person's death than your own, for instance, or, mm-hmm. you know, of the, the challenges of parenthood. I mean, I wonder if we're going to see an uptick in those kinds of films right now while so many people are having to deal with like working from home while also educating their children from home or, you know, doing that kind of care work. And it's just increasingly challenging. And I can't imagine how much you might worry about is my kid losing out on the kind of socialization they might get in, a, in another time in this really important stage of life? Like, I think there's a lot of anxiety right now. And so I could imagine that popping up in horror films, because I think a big part of what they do is just sort of put on screen whatever the cultural anxieties of the time are. Mm-hmm. Like around yeah. 9-11 and during like the war on terror at the height of that, you saw a lot of like torture kind of stuff because that was so much in the popular imagination. I think we're going to see a lot more zombie films now with like the pandemic and those have already been kind of a big trend. But yeah, I do think there's this, there are anxieties about the process of birth which I haven't experienced myself. So, you know, maybe you could actually speak to this more than I could, but I think the, the, the strangeness of having another life, you know, growing inside of you, like that's, that's so fundamentally strange, especially to men who are mostly the people making these movies. And I think some people would argue that men, that a lot of what patriarchy is about is men's sort of attempt to control reproduction, which they, Mm -hmm. they don't have control over is to find ways to create since they don't have access to this kind of creation of life or something like that. So I think Mm. there's a little bit of that and a movie like alien where you have this like (laughs) alien being birthed from a man, I think is a pretty direct reflection of that. But I think that just sort of this sense of like the deep responsibility of bringing another life into the world and especially in a world that is full of horrors. Honestly, I think Mm -hmm. that's where a lot of that 
comes from. And I think the fears, Rosemary's Baby, I think of something like we need to talk about Kevin or, you know, a movie where it's like, or the omen, like the fear of what if I bring a life into the world and they don't turn out the way I want? What if yeah. they turn out horrible? <laughs> you know, I think that's a fear. And then the other is just like, what if I can't protect them? And I think in a film like A Quiet Place, which was pretty big a few oh, years yeah. ago, um, that's pregnancy and parenthood or hundred percent what that movie is about. Yeah. And I think that's very much about what if I'm not able to protect and nurture this life. So I, I think that's like death, another almost mm -hmm. universal anxiety, even for people who don't have children, just those, yeah. these sort of thoughts about, yeah, the, the heaviness of bringing life into the world and, and the responsibility and the gift and who can access it and who can't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now you've got me really curious if A Quiet Place was written around about November of 2016. It was. It totally was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because that was a very, uh, that was something that I know I felt very deeply that other people felt deeply in conversations I've even been having with people of childbearing age, with childbearing hopes and dreams is that, mm. Can I bring, can I bring a child into the world as things are right now? Yeah. Um, and that was intensely felt. Yeah. Around about that time in history. Absolutely. I mean, I find that film really interesting, sort of <laughs> politically and for all sorts of reasons. Um, but yeah, the, the choice to bring a preg, for people who don't know what this film is about, it's imagining a kind of post apocalyptic world where creatures hunt by sound and they can, you know, so you have to be completely quiet all the time. And, there is no way to keep a newborn mm. quiet, you know? So it's mm -hmm. just like such a, a bizarre <laughs> sort of premise, but one where it's, it's, yeah, it's imagining the utmost extreme of what if you can't really keep your child safe in this yeah. world that we live in. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Now I want to go back and watch that movie. I watched it. <laughs> um, and see, yeah, that's something that's so interesting because I don't necessarily think of it as a horror film in the same way that I think of like the Freddy Krueger series or Child's Play, like we mentioned before. Um, but it totally is. Yeah. Yeah. And now I want to rewatch it with my knowledge that I'm gaining from <laughs> Professor Jen. And, and there's a sequel, right? <laughs> there's a sequel coming out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that what you're getting at is sort of like there have been so many disagreements over how to define the genre. And so for some people, mm -hmm. a supernatural element is a requirement. And so that might exclude a quiet place because these creatures seem to be like aliens or something, not mm -hmm. supernatural. Um, but yeah, I think like the broadest definition is just anything that's designed to scare you. And and honestly, yeah. that movie is very effective at that. I think I think that movie yeah. is yeah. <laughs> very yeah. intense. And, I mean, I've always said in the imaginary conversations, well, the real conversation is about imaginary things with my husband. I've like, well, between like <laughs> vampires and werewolves and zombies, like zombies are for sure the scariest because they could actually happen. <laughs> like they're not supernatural. It's just like the germ yeah, yeah. ends up taking over and killing us all. And so, yeah, I think that those things that are just close enough to reality, and I think you said, um, like tapping into the popular imagination of our worst fears. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I love this conversation. I love this. <laughs> we need more horror hold. films. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I really hope people are going to, like, this is going to spur some great conversations yeah. um, between people and their other important people in their lives about, about this. So, 
Yeah. 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 So for people who maybe aren't as familiar with the genre, maybe are just looking to explore it for the first time. Um, do you have some like, these are my top five or like, <laughs> like give us a syllabus of like <laughs> horror films 101. How do we, how do we explore this from uh, your perspective? Yeah, I always have a hard time with this question because I think on some level it's so deeply personal and I don't want to steer people the wrong way mm-hmm. and like traumatize them <laughs> But um, <laughs> with something like horror. But I, I can say sort of like, if you like this, then you might like that. So for people who kind of like more spooky, atmospheric, but not gory or necessarily even scary at all but you know like spooky uh, I would recommend some older films like The Haunting and Cat People the one from the 40s and also some Japanese ghost movies which tend to be really haunting and beautiful but not very gory so older ones like Kwaidan or Kuroneku which is about a ghost cat like sort of a, a spirit of a woman that's also a cat and it's it's really wow. fun um, for people who want maybe a little bit scarier. Uh, I think folks who haven't seen Get Out, it's in- incredibly socially relevant mm. and just a really well-made, engaging film. Um, likewise, The Duke, which I think some people find scary, but it's absolutely about parenting and the things we've been talking about. Um, and It Follows, which is a, a kind of independent one that it's definitely scarier, but it brings up some interesting ideas about kind of relationships and sexuality. Um, and then, so if people like zombies, I think some of the ones that I think are really worth returning to in this pandemic moment are 28 Days Later, which is a little bit old, but I think is still a fantastic film. And then even older, kind of the one that birthed the modern zombie as we know it, Night of the Living Dead is just such an incredible film. It brings up so many social issues and um, also I think taps into exactly the kinds of anxieties we're dealing with right now. Um, so yeah, those are a few. Um, I guess the last ones I would mention are if people like vampires, I think that genre has that subgenre has come to be seen as kind of silly thanks to movies mm-hmm. like Twilight. Twilight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but there are some really good ones, especially some older ones. So Daughters of Darkness is just a really fun kind of campy one from the 70s. And Ganja and Hess is about um a black vampire couple and actually directed by a black filmmaker. So and it's sort of like was supposed to be a black exploitation movie but it ended up becoming kind of an art film so that one's really interesting and then lastly a girl walks home alone at night which i show in a lot of my classes and students end up loving it's about um like an iranian female vampire who's kind of a badass (laughs) so it's it's got its scary moments but it's also just sort of beautiful and, and kind of fun awesome so I, I think we could carry on this conversation for hours um, because you have so much knowledge uh, to offer and I just love all your insights. Um, but if we wanted to direct people to where they could just um, find out a little more about you or hear more of what you have to offer. I know you um, you have a podcast, but where are some of the places, some of the ways that people can um, connect with you or connect with some things you've created? Sure. So I'm a little all over the 
place in that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, yeah, probably first and foremost, if you actually want to keep hearing me talk, then the the podcast, When Animals Attack podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and we sort of share true stories of people who've been attacked by animals, and we always want to hear stories. So if anyone has one, <laughs> we'd love to <laughs> share, and we include all that info in the episodes. Um, but we also talk about animal horror movies. So we do like a different animal theme. Like if we talk about a grizzly bear attack, then we'll talk about a movie that's about grizzly bears. Um, so there's that. And then I'm in the Eli Roth's history of horror TV show on AMC. There is a season that just came out on DVD, but I think by the time this episode comes out, the new season will be out. So I'm one of many talking heads. So if you want to learn about horror, that's definitely a good place to start. Um, otherwise, yeah, I'm uh, the main social media that I would direct people to that's public is completely irrelevant, but I have like a fashion gram <laughs> called at fashion minded professor. So there's that. And then I teach at Fordham University. So if any Fordham students happen to be listening, you can always try to take a class with me. Uh, I'll hopefully be teaching horror again, but I teach all kinds of classes. I think that's so cool. Like, you know, there's, there's so many great um, college courses that are available to people. And just knowing like, there's a whole course on horror film that you can take with the fashion minded professor. I mean, who wouldn't <laughs> want to sign up for that? <laughs> I greatly appreciate that Instagram account because um, I think that's something that we share. We have many like diverse interests. <laughs> <laughs> We enjoy taking pictures of our outfits. We have podcasts. <laughs> yes. And it's pets. good to be well-rounded. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jen. This has been really um, eye-opening for me. I mean, I feel like I have a new appreciation for horror films, and um, I'm ready to go ahead and, and watch one that maybe I've been too afraid to watch. Um, and we'll definitely link to um, – to your social media. Um, is there um, a charity that we can direct our listeners to that maybe we can encourage them if they want to be generous? Uh, maybe they could be generous to uh, your choice of charity. Sure. Um, personally, I prefer like organizations rather than charity. So organizations working towards social change rather than charities, which to me are often sort of like more band-aids than trying to Mm. change root causes. So I would direct people toward the movement for Black Lives, which is connected to Black Lives Matter, but Black Lives Matter isn't really an organization. It's just sort of like a hashtag that's been an umbrella under which other organizations work. So if you look up the movement for Black Lives, they're doing some great work and you could donate or you could participate in like letter writing campaigns or, you know, whatever else so that we can work on chipping away at white supremacy in this country. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm so grateful that Rachel made this happen by having such an awesome friend that we got to, um, feature your voice. And, um, yeah, I, I also am trying to figure out which of these films I'm going to go watch first, <laughs> but we appreciate your time so much, Jen. So thank you so much for talking with us and for giving us, um, I think insights we never would have had 
otherwise. So thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. And I will say I do always encourage people look up films before you watch them, especially horror, especially if you're a trauma survivor, and there's something that might be triggering. Usually, if you just kind of Google them, Wikipedia, watch a trailer, you know, you can get a sense of whether this is something that's going to be fun or not so fun. So (laughs) that's my final thought. Smart advice. Thank you so much. It's been really fun. And uh, yeah. Thanks for joining us. Now it's our turn to hear from you. So would you do us a big favor and go into your podcast app and rate us? Even better, would you write us a glowing review? That will help other listeners to find us. And make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. You can also visit our website at everydaythinplaces.com where you will find all sorts of fun and interesting information as well as learn about how you can help to support this podcast and earn special exclusive perks. There you will also find links to follow us on social media or else just pop directly over to Instagram or Facebook where you will find us at Everyday Thin Places. Thanks so much for joining us today. Until next time, I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Rachel. Bye. Bye.